want you to go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 8. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you something that, that, that God did to me. Uh, yesterday evening, or yesterday afternoon, um, I was at my house and I was looking at a picture of my dad. Uh, it was a picture that my dad took at State Farm. And I looked at that picture and I saw that, that gray beard. And then I looked up in the mirror and I saw my gray beard. And it was almost like my daddy was talking to me saying, I told you. I told you. I used to think my daddy was old, and I realize now my daddy was not really that old. Uh, my daddy passed away 33 years ago on Memorial Day, May 29th, 1989. And uh, not a day goes by that I don't think about my dad. Uh, and I'm thankful that I can look in the mirror and see that gray beard and appreciate it. Uh, because every time I look at that beard on my face, I, I think about my dad. A lot of times my dad would tell me, one day you'll remember one day you'll remember, and um, he's right. I remember pretty much anything and everything he said to me. Um, whether I liked it in the moment or not, uh, I remember it, and I appreciate it now. I'm going to tell you something else that God did this morning. Um, we had seven families spread out um, from, from my left to my right. You may not know this, but there was a member, if not two, in every one of those families that I either had in student ministry or I had in the classroom in the school. You tell me God's not good. Because I can tell you none of them thought one day I'd be preaching. And I can tell you certainly never did it cross their minds that one day I would be praying a prayer of blessing over their children. But I remember many times telling them whether they were in my classroom, at my school, or whether they were in that student building that, that Brother Jeremy is in now, I used to tell them all the time, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you were created by. Remember who you belong to. I used to use that word all the time, remember. And I used to tell them the same things over and over again. As a matter of fact, I'm still telling Jeremy and Andy the same things over and over again. And it's kind of cool because now they're telling me the things that I used to tell them. Hey, Jeff, don't forget. Hey, remember. <laughs> remembering and repetition. Remembering and repetition. I'm going to tell you, God is in control. This past winter, uh, we studied the Old Testament book of Joshua. And if those of you that were here on Sunday nights, if you'll remember, uh, the book of Joshua is incredible. But, the, but there's something very specific that Joshua did throughout his life that was important. He remembered. See, remembering is an important part of our faith journey. I want you to think about that. Remembering, it is an important part of our faith journey. See, Joshua had a way of looking back at what God had said to him, at what God had done to him, and it helped him in his present circumstances, and it helped him look forward. When the Israelites crossed the Jordan River, if you'll remember, Joshua had the priest bring 12 stones out of the river, and they set them up as a memorial there in Gilgal. And there were several times in Joshua's life where he went back to that memorial, and he looked at that memorial, memorial, and what he did was he remembered what God had done for him, and what God had done for his children. And that remembrance helped him as he turned around and moved forward where God was calling him to go. See, remembering is an important part of our faith journey. And just as remembering is a part of our faith journey, repetition, repetition 
is also an important part of our faith journey. Do you remember how many times God had to say to Joshua, be strong, be courageous? He told him that over and over again. Be strong, be courageous. You know what else he told Joshua over and over again? I am with you. I am with you. Now, why do you think he had to tell Joshua that more than once? Because Joshua was a Baptist. That's just me, okay? I hope you forget that as quick as you heard that. No, I'll tell you why. It's because repetition is a good thing. When God tells you something more than once, it's a good thing. Now, it may be because you have forgotten. It may be because the first time you didn't quite get it or you didn't quite understand. But when God keeps talking, it's a good thing. And when God keeps telling you, right, that I am with you. When God keeps telling you, be strong, be courageous, I think that's a good thing. See, I believe remembering and repetition matters in the life of a Christ follower. And just as it was important to Joshua all those years ago, way back in the Old Testament, we get to see the same thing happen in the lives of the disciples. God has to do the same thing in the lives of these disciples that he did with Abraham, with Moses, with Joshua. And I'm going to tell you something. What we see God do today in the lives of these disciples, he's still doing today in the life of your pastor, Jeff Thomas. And I hope he's still doing it in your life too. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. I want you to look at this with me. Mark chapter 8. This is an incredible passage of Scripture. I'm going to begin with the first 10 verses. Mark chapter 8 verses 1 through 10 says this. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and he went to the region of Dalmuntha. What we see in this passage is we see another miracle. We, we see a similar miracle here in Mark chapter 8 that we saw back in Mark chapter 6. Jesus feeds thousands of people. If you'll remember in Mark chapter 6, the number was 5,000 men. That's what the Bible says. It was 5,000 men. Theologians tell us that wives and children were there and it could have very well been 20,000 people on that day when Jesus fed them. They were with Jesus one day in Mark chapter 6, and he fed them. In Mark chapter 8, what we see here in these first 10 verses is that the crowd is about 4,000. And we see something else. 
The Bible tells us that they traveled a long distance. Now, what theologians tell us and what biblical scholars tell us is that back in Mark chapter 6, the thousands of people that Jesus fed were Jews. Because if you'll remember, he looked at them with compassion and said, these are sheep without a shepherd. He always used that terminology when he was talking about Israel. In this passage... We see that they've traveled a long distance, and what theologians tell us is that this crowd was not a Jewish crowd, rather it was a Gentile crowd. Many, many Gentiles who traveled to see Jesus. And in this passage, we notice that they were with Jesus for three days. So don't get confused here, because a lot of people do get confused, and they think, oh, well, Mark's just telling the same story again. No, he's not telling the same story He's telling a similar story. It is a miracle that looks a lot alike. It is a repetitive miracle. But it is two different people groups. It's not the same story. It's just a repetition of the same miracle. And so when Jesus says something twice, when he says something three times, when Jesus says something time and time again, it means it's important. It means you need to listen, not just with your ears, but with your heart. Now, what I'm going to tell you right here at the very beginning of this passage is what I told you in Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to keep telling you this because it is a truth that we need to get. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. Do you hear me? Jesus Christ is the bread of life. That is the central truth that we need to take away from these two very important miracles, especially this one in Mark chapter 8 today. He told his disciples this time and time again. As a matter of fact, you can find it in John chapter 6 where he uses this terminology, I am the bread of life, over and over again. In John chapter 6 verse 33, Jesus said, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and it gives life to the world. I don't find it a coincidence, I find it providence that Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem. Do you know what that name Bethlehem means? It means city of bread. That's not a coincidence. (laughs) That is providence. The bread of life was born in the city of bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life, I give life to the world. And what we see in Mark chapter 8 is that he literally is telling his disciples and telling everyone this bread is not just for the Jew, it is for the Gentile. I am the bread of life that gives life to the world. This is so important. We, we know this already. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus had compassion. I'm going to tell you something. In Mark chapter 8, guess what Jesus is filled with? You read it just like I did. He's filled with what? Compassion. He's filled with compassion. He had compassion on the crowd, not just because they were hungry for food, not just because they had been with him for three days, not just because they were starving physically. I'm going to tell you, he had compassion on them because they were starving spiritually. Spiritually. He saw more than their stomachs. He saw their hearts. 
And so Jesus had compassion on them. Just as he had compassion on the sheep without a shepherd in Mark chapter 6, Jesus looks at this Gentile crowd and he says, I have compassion for them. Now the disciples, they're with Jesus. And I love this because Jesus, he spent more time with his disciples than he did with anyone else on this earth. He he spent so much of his life investing in and pouring into these disciples. Why? Because these disciples would go out and preach the gospel, share the gospel. And and so Jesus is teaching them. And the disciples in this moment, isn't it amazing that the disciples have already seen what Jesus could do just a couple of chapters earlier, right? Isn't it amazing how quickly they forgot? Because Jesus is filled with compassion... He says what he wants to do, and guess what the disciples are filled with? Doubt. Thank you, Brother Gary. Doubt. They are filled with doubt. What do they do? They look around with their physical eyes, and what do they see? They see a remote place. A remote place. I was running yesterday morning, and when I got up to run, uh, Marty said, Hey, uh, do you need us to meet you somewhere and bring you some water? And I said, no, today's not that long of a run. I'll be back in about, you know, 35 or 40 minutes. It'll be fine. I don't worry about it. And so I took off running. It was early in the morning, you know. It felt okay. But I'm just going to be honest with you. About 20, mile, 20 minutes out, okay, 20 minutes out, I was getting ready to turn and head back to the house. And I was thinking, where's my water? What have I done? And, and I, I run with a, a coach on my, on my app, and he talks to me. And he says, now's the time I just want you to look around. And I looked around and all I could see was a cornfield on one side and a hayfield on the other. No water. Right? I'm sitting there going, hey coach, shut up, man. I don't want to just look around. I want to get home. Why did I tell my wife I didn't need water? I'm going to tell you what I saw. I saw a remote place. And and I'm going to tell you what I felt. I felt like I may not make it back to the driveway in the time that I want to make it. I may just have to stop and sit in the shade. I may just have to walk. It was a remote place, and guess what the disciples did? They looked around, and guess what they saw? A remote place. They looked at the crowd and saw how many it was, and they looked down and saw this little bit of bread. (laughs) And what did they do to Jesus? They questioned Jesus. Hey, where are we going to find enough food to feed them? I love what Dr. Tony Evans says in his commentary. Listen to what he says. He says, when you forget God's past deeds in your life, you will forget the kingdom power that is available to you right now. You'll fail to believe that all things are possible with God. You see what happens when we forget? When when we forget, especially as Christ followers... When we forget who we are, when we forget whose we are, and we forget what God has done, then we won't even think about what God can do. It'll be a remote place. It'll be a hopeless place. It'll be a a doubting place. Have you ever been there? You ever been to a doubting place? I've been there many times. If you don't know what that feels like, come see me and I'll talk to you about it. I'll fill your week up with many doubting places I've been in my life. So Jesus was filled with compassion. The disciples are filled with doubt. 
I'm going to throw a word at you that I am thankful for today. Patience. I'm going to tell you, I'm thankful that my daddy on this earth was patient with me. (laughs) I'm thankful that my mama on this earth was patient with me, and she's still patient with me. (laughs) But what we see in this passage of Scripture is that the Lord is patient, right? The Lord is patient with His disciples. Thank God for His patience. Jesus, when the disciples looked around and saw the remote place, and they said, Jesus... Where are we going to get food? Where can anyone, right, get food to feed them? Jesus could have hammered them, right? He could have come back and got them pretty good. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said very simply, how many loaves do you have? That's all he said. How many loaves do you have? You know what Jesus is going to do? Jesus is going to use repetition and remembrance to grow his disciples in their faith. He's going to use repetition and remembrance so that his disciples can work with him, so that they can be a part of a miracle that changes lives. And what we see is that Jesus has seven loaves of bread to work with. What does Jesus do with those seven loaves of bread? He does what he did in Mark chapter 6. He gives thanks for what he's got. He gives thanks for what he's got through his disciples. And then he begins to break the bread. And as he begins to break the bread, you know what happens. The bread multiplies. (laughs) Don't ask me to explain that. Because I can't. Other than this, God. God. He makes all things possible. And he does it through the life of Jesus Christ. What I see in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus satisfies. Don't He? He satisfies. He satisfies everyone. And I stress that word, everyone. We see in this passage that Jesus prays twice. Now, this is very, very intentional. Theologians will tell us, biblical scholars tell us, that this twofold prayer is more evidence that Jesus is actually serving a Gentile crowd. Because had it been a Jewish crowd, he could have prayed once and it would have satisfied the Jewish customs and the Jewish traditions. It would have been done. But in this passage, Jesus prays not just once, but twice. He prays over the bread and serves it. Then he prays again over the fish and he serves it. Why did he do that? Because he was working with a Gentile crowd. And so the Bible tells us that he had compassion on this Gentile crowd. And just like he served and satisfied that Jewish crowd, he now serves and satisfies this Gentile crowd. Because the Bible says right here that all ate and were what? Satisfied. In Mark chapter 6, there were 12 basketfuls left over. In in Mark chapter 8, how many are left over? All right now. Don't make me start over. We can go back to slide one. And y'all's lunch will just get cold. How many basketfuls were left? Seven. In Mark chapter 6, how many basketfuls were left? Twelve. In Mark chapter 8, the passage this morning, how many were left over? Okay, don't forget those numbers. Because I'm not going to tell you what that means right now. We'll come back to it. But don't forget, because you know what happens when you forget, right? Yeah, get ready. So we're going to take a little sidetrack here. Same place, same miracle being performed, 
And guess who shows up to see it? Somebody said, oh boy. <laughs> That's what I say every time I see the Pharisees. Oh boy. Yeah, the Pharisees show up. Look at it in verses 11 through 13. The Pharisees came. And guess what they do? They do what they always do to Jesus. They began to question Jesus. Now they're not questioning Jesus like the disciples questioned Jesus. Oh no, their hearts are bent and turned in a whole different direction. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test Him. They asked Him for a sign from heaven. Look at verse 12 and don't miss these words. He sighed deeply. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. I'm going to tell you, in reading the Bible, studying the Bible, and, and marking up my Bible left and right, this is one of the saddest passages of Scripture in the Bible, in my opinion. This is one of the saddest passages of Scripture. See, the Pharisees want Jesus to perform for them. That's what they want. They want Jesus to put on another performance. And they want it to be for them. They could care less about the crowd. They could care less about anybody there. All they care about is themselves. And they want Jesus to perform. They questioned Jesus. That's what Mark tells us. They questioned Him and they tested Him. Now, what I want you to remember, and again... I'm using remembrance and repetition because it's a good thing. I want you to remember what Mark told us way back in Mark chapter 3 verse 6. Do you remember what he told them? Let me tell you. The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians who were their enemies. They went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So from the very beginning, Mark chapter 3 The Pharisees and the Herodians, which is your religious group and your political group, they've had one agenda on their mind, and it has not changed, and it will not change, and it is, how can we kill Jesus? That's why I said, don't be confused when it says the Pharisees came and questioned Jesus. Because we just saw the disciples question Jesus. But the disciples weren't questioning Jesus with a heart that was hardened towards Him as Messiah. The Pharisees were. They were questioning Jesus with hearts that were hardened and rejecting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Everything Jesus said was a sign. Everything Jesus did was a sign. Listen, He had done enough for them to know that He was the Son of God, that He was the Messiah come to save the world. He didn't need to say anything else or do anything else. And I'm going to tell you something. It wouldn't have mattered if He did. Because they had their minds made up, they were going to kill this man. It's sad. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 24, listen to this. Jews demand signs, and Greeks long for wisdom. But we preach, this was Paul and the apostles, we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks. I love that. Paul says, 
both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and is the wisdom of God. Listen, I believe Jesus on that day, I believe Jesus was grieved. I believe he was grieved by the hardened hearts of the Pharisees. You say, Brother Jeff, how could Jesus be grieved over someone who wanted to kill him? Are you kidding me? God created those Pharisees just like he created you and me, just like he created those disciples. Those Pharisees were created in the image of God just like all of us are created in the image of God. I believe Jesus Christ was grieved. You may say, well, how can you say that? Because verse 12 says he deeply sighed. And do you know that the Greek language here is the exact same words for when Jesus breathed a deep sigh in Mark chapter 7 verse 34 when he healed a man from his deafness and his muteness. He was grieved over the effects that sin had had on this man's life. Jesus was grieved that these Pharisees had hardened their hearts in such a way that they denied him as Messiah. He was grieved that they would even ask such a question. Can you show us another sign? And I'm going to tell you another reason why this makes me so sad. But it's truth. Jesus says no. Jesus says no. He tells the Pharisees, no sign will be given to it. No. I'm not not bowing down to your demands. I'm not curtsying to your tests. No. In Matthew's parallel account, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 42, do you know what Jesus points them to? Matthew says that Jesus points them to the sign of Jonah. In other words, no, I'm not giving you a sign today, and I'm not going to give you a sign to what you're wanting. The sign you'll be given is the sign of Jonah. What does that mean? Jesus points to his death and his resurrection from the grave three days later, and they didn't want to hear that. (laughs) Not from Jesus, not from the one they wanted killed. See, Jesus is telling them, I am the Messiah. And the Pharisees have rejected that truth. But just because they reject that truth doesn't mean that truth has changed. Some of the saddest words in the Bible, Mark chapter 8, verse 13, if you want to look at it, some of the saddest words in the Bible, then he left them. Then he left them. The Pharisees had made their minds up. And Jesus left them right where they made their mind up. He got in the boat and went the other way. sad. Why is it sad? Because Jesus is the bread of life for all mankind, for all sinners, for all who have lost, who are lost and have gone astray. It's sad because Jesus wanted to save them, had the power to save them, but the Pharisees rejected it. He left them. Mark chapter 8, verse 14 says, The disciples, so after this this encounter with the Pharisees happens, they've just seen Jesus perform another miracle. It looked just like the one they had already seen, you know, a few days, a few weeks before. In verse 14 it says, The disciples had forgotten. You think that's a coincidence? It don't even matter what comes next. The disciples had forgotten. 
What had they forgotten? They had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. So what are they thinking about? What are we going to eat? <laughs> what, what are we going to eat? Man, I'm hungry. I can just see James and John. Is that your stomach ground or mine? Like, I can just imagine the conversation they're having, and Jesus is in the boat. But look at the conversation Jesus wants to have with them. It ain't got nothing to do with their stomachs. Look at verse 15. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, um, it is because we have no bread. Again, they looked around the first time with their physical eyes and now they're thinking with their feeble little minds, right? What has been left out this whole time? Their hearts, (laughs) which is what Jesus is trying to dig into. They say, oh, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, like you can hide anything from Jesus. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? (laughs) Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? And ears but fail to hear? And the question that is the question of all, right? The big question right here. Don't you remember? What's he doing? He's digging, isn't he? Repetition and remembrance. Don't you remember? And he leads them with more questions. Verse 19. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? How many? Twelve, they replied. See, I'm using you as part of this. This is an interactive story. Verse 20, and when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Mm. Jesus. Jesus satisfies, don't he? When no one else can and when nothing else can, Jesus can. See, the disciples forgot. That's, that's what I want you to see right here, off the, right off the bat. The disciples forgot. And what did it lead to? It led to a lack of understanding. See, they had forgotten already about the miracle that Jesus just performed, feeding thousands of people. They had forgotten about the miracle Jesus performed, likewise, a few weeks ago, with many, many Jews feeding thousands of people. They had forgotten about what Jesus did, and because they had forgotten about what Jesus did, they forgot about who Jesus was. And he was in the boat with them, and they're going, man, we got one loaf. It's every man for himself, I guess. They're looking around, where's 12 of us? Ain't but one loaf. I bet Peter thought he was fixing to go to town. Right? Big old strong Peter. He's fixing to wear some boys out for some bread. The disciples forgot And because they forgot, they did not understand the moment. See, when we forget what God has done for us in the past, we forget the power and the authority that is available for us right now. It wasn't just about the bread for their stomachs. And Jesus wanted them to know that. It was about the bread for their souls. And it was right there in the boat with them. Jesus, He gives them a warning. 
right? He warns them about the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Do you think it was a coincidence that Jesus uses the word yeast and they're talking about bread? No, it ain't a coincidence. When Jesus says something, it's always divine. It's providence. It's sovereignty. It ain't no coincidence. But since they had their eyes on bread, Jesus said, let me get your hearts pointed to what I'm really talking about. I'm talking about yeast. Why did did he use that word yeast? And why did he talk about yeast of the Pharisees and Herod? Well, I'll tell you why. The disciples would have very much known what yeast was. As a matter of fact, Jews understood and believed that yeast was a corrupting agent. In the Bible, there's another word for yeast. It's called leaven. And did you know that when the Bible uses the word leaven, it is always symbolic of evil, darkness. The disciples would have picked up on Jesus. It may have taken them a a second or two. It may have taken them two or three business meetings, but they would have gotten to the point. (laughs) It only takes a little bit of yeast. It only takes a little bit of leaven to disrupt the whole batch of dough. And what Jesus is doing is He's warning them of the corrupting power, both religiously, the Pharisees, and politically, the Herodians. He's saying, you better watch out. Because they are trying to disrupt everything that we are doing in this world. They do not want to see the kingdom of God advance. They only want their own kingdom. The pharisaical kingdom, the Herodian kingdom. That's all they want. And so Jesus is trying to warn them. He's trying to grow them. He's trying to teach them. He's using remembrance and repetition. And what we see here is that they go, oh, he, it's because we didn't bring bread. Like, they're, they're, it's, they're still not getting it. And, and what's great is, I told you this just a few minutes ago, Jesus is patient. Thank God for patience, right? Because Jesus is aware of their hearts. He's aware of what they're thinking and where they're going. And what he does is he reminds the disciples of the truth. He says, are your hearts hardened? Now, when he asked that, again, please be careful. When Jesus says, are your hearts hardened? He's not talking about the same kind of hardened hearts of the the Pharisees. He's saying, are your hearts so hardened by the ways of this world that you can't see and understand God's kingdom moving? See, they believed in Jesus Christ. They trusted Jesus Christ. Did they have doubts? Yes. I've said this so many times. If we're not careful, we will dehumanize the disciples all day long every day. Oh, well, that was the disciples. I mean, they were walking with Jesus. Oh, well, that was the disciples. Well, Brother Jeff, that was 2,000 years ago, and the world's a whole lot different today than it was 2,000 years ago. No, it's not. Sin is still sin, and Satan is still Satan. And I'm going to tell you something better. God is still God. And Jesus Christ, what he did with his disciples, is still doing today. And he's doing it in my life, praise God. And he can and will do it in your life. He is doing it in some of your lives. I know it. The disciples didn't have hardened hearts that rejected Jesus as Lord, but they did have hard hearts in understanding what Jesus was doing and why he was doing it. So Jesus asked them that question, don't you remember? In other words, hey guys, look back. Look back at at, at what I did in Mark chapter 6. Look back at what you were a part of. 
Hey, hey, look back just a few moments ago at what we did together. Well, what was Jesus reminding them of? In, in all of this, I'm, I'm telling you, it all comes back to that one statement. In all of these questions and all of what Jesus is doing, it comes back to this central truth. Do you know what he wanted his disciples to know? He wanted them to know that he was the bread of life. That's what he wanted them to know. I am the bread of life. And more than that loaf of bread that's sitting in the middle of all 12 of you that would feed your stomachs, I'm the bread that you're going to need for eternity. And I'm the bread that will satisfy you for eternity. It's all about that statement. I am the bread of life. I told you we were going to come back to those numbers. In Mark chapter 6, when Jesus fed the crowd, how many basketfuls were left? Twelve. Theologians and biblical scholars tell us, and and you can see it all through Scripture, twelve is symbolic of the tribes of Israel. How many tribes of Israel? Twelve. It is also symbolic in the New Testament of how many disciples? Twelve. The twelve tribes of Israel are Jews. Most of the disciples... Jews. You see the symbolism in this? Alright, in Mark chapter 8, the passage we've read today, they fed the crowd. How many basketfuls were taken up? Seven. Do you know what the number seven means in the Bible? It means complete. It means fullness. Completeness and fullness. What Jesus has shown His disciples and two miracles that are parallel, that, are, that look a lot alike, very similar. What Jesus is showing them is that I am the bread of life for both the Jews and the Gentiles. I can satisfy the twelve, and I can satisfy all. Jesus can do what no one else can. He can save He can satisfy. Jesus is the fullness of God made flesh. That's what Jesus wanted his disciples to know more than anything else. Repetition and remembrance. Repetition and remembrance. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus taught the disciples then, and I'm going to tell you what he's teaching me now, what he's teaching you now. He's enough. I, I really believe there are so many, even in this building, but definitely in this world, they are reaching and grabbing for the next thing to satisfy. And the reason they keep reaching for the next thing is because the thing they thought would satisfy did not satisfy. Right? Oh, it worked for the five minutes. It worked for, for, the, for the five hours. It worked for the five days, but that's done and gone. Let me get on to the next thing. And the next thing, and the next thing. And I'm going to tell you, in this life, until you grab a hold of Jesus, you'll never be satisfied. It ain't a spouse. It ain't a child. It ain't a job. I'm going to tell you something. It ain't a church. It's Jesus. And it's Jesus Christ alone who satisfies. The church don't satisfy. You want to know why? Because it's made up of people like you and me. I, I get on your nerves sometimes, don't I? 
Don't you lie up in church now. You know I get on your nerves sometimes. And I can't lie in church either. Y'all get on my nerves sometimes. I, I mean, some of you want fried chicken. Some of you want grilled chicken. Some of you don't want chicken. You want a salad. Some of you don't want khaki paint. You want white paint. Some of you don't want whatever color this is, carpet. We could go on and on, right? How we annoy each other and get on each other's nerves and how we don't always agree, right? Sometimes, sometimes it just, <laughs> it's, you know, square peg and round hole. And I'm going to tell you, it'll always be that way in your life until you get to Jesus. Because when you get to Jesus, He will satisfy. He will satisfy every longing in your life. Physical and spiritual. He'll give you what you need, when you need it, and how you need it. In your home, in your workplace, in your school, in your church, in your community. It's Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life for the world. Nothing and no one else. I will never preach another gospel but the gospel of Jesus Christ. It'll never be government. It'll never be country. It'll never be wife, husband, child. It'll always be Jesus because Jesus is the only one who will satisfy your soul. So don't come to me and want want me to back you up about country and government and this president and that president or this job and that job or marriage and spouse and children. I praise God that we live in a country where we can proclaim the gospel freely. But that may not always be the case, and you better watch out. And there won't ever be a perfect president in the office because there's not a perfect person in the world save Jesus Christ. And there will always be another country that is against us. There will be multiple countries that are against us. And there will always be a spouse that makes another spouse mad or a child that disappoints a parent or a parent that disappoints a child. That stuff will always happen. And that's why I preach Jesus. Because Jesus will never let you down. And I'm going to tell you something else. He'll never let you go. He'll always be with you. He'll be right there in the boat with you. He'll be the bread of life while you're focused on the bread of stomach. And he'll wait on you. And then he'll say, don't you remember? (laughs) I know there are times in my life when I start looking around and I start doubting. And it's almost that oh boy moment like we do with the Pharisees. Oh boy. And Jesus just softly says to me, don't you remember? Don't you remember who you are? Don't you remember who I am? Don't you remember what I've done for you? Don't you remember? I'm going to ask you this morning, wherever you are right now in your faith journey, don't you remember?